Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. This morning, we're going to continue in the book of Acts. It was two weeks ago that we finished Acts chapter 2, and then we had uh, Pastor Dan Fisher and his presentation with the Black Robe Regiment. Now we're ready to jump back into Acts chapter 3. If you remember, Acts chapter 2 is about the day of Pentecost, the day that God promised that His Holy Spirit would fall upon the church, those who called upon the name of the Lord and were saved. And it says that that day, 3,000 were saved. It was wonderful. As Peter stands up and he preaches, right? As we see God moving, we see a miracle. Uh, then Peter gets up and explains it. This is that. And he goes to the Scriptures. He goes to the Old Testament to explain what the Holy Spirit is doing, who the Holy Spirit is, and why the Holy Spirit has come. And this is the day the church is birthed, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, overflowing and becoming witnesses. As Peter preached, uh, he, would re he would preach to them in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let all the house of Israel, right? And, and Peter was really preaching to those people gathered there um, for Pentecost in the temple courtyard. So he's preaching, preaching to a bunch of Jews, right? Uh, much as we would look at preaching to the church. These are people that came. They expected, you know, to go through the motions. They just didn't expect God to actually show up. And that happens in churches a lot of times, too. Uh, he says, uh, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles and uh, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverted generation. And then those who gladly received were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. And uh, I'm so excited. Today we have baptisms coming up right after the service, right? Last week we preached that. Somebody heard the word and says, Hey, that's me. I need to be baptized. Now, Often, baptism, it begins when a person makes that confession of faith. They say, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is my Lord, God, King of the universe. He created me, and I'm accountable to Him. And I answer to Him, but I'm so grateful that He's my Lord. And I believe in my heart, and I'll tell the world that He's, he's alive. He's risen. He's come up out of the grave. And with that same resurrection power, God's going to raise me to heaven. And as you go out and do that, God fills you with the Holy Spirit that you can be witnesses to the world. And this is kind of what's going on. And then in verse 47, we get one of seven progress reports. As, the, as Luke records this story that's been shared with him from the gospel, in the gospel of Luke, going on into the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the church, the acts of the apostles, we get seven progress reports here. In verse 
47 of chapter 2 becomes the first progress report that says they are praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It's all Jesus, all day long, right? And we come to chapter 3 here, and verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. We see in the previous passage how they were continuing steadfastly in the uh, uh, teaching of the apostles, the scriptures, that they were um, in the doctrine of the gospels, that they were in fellowship, they were breaking bread, and they were having prayers. And now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, the ninth hour would be three in the afternoon, beginning on the reckoning here at six in the morning, beginning of the day, then the ninth hour was three in the afternoon, as was their habit. Now, there was no reason why, as Christians, they couldn't go to the temple, right? This is, this is, they're preaching the gospel. They're sharing Jesus, just like Jesus went into the temple. We go into the world. A lot of times you go into church, and you'll share the gospel in a church. Why? Because there's people there that don't know. And so, they're going up, and they're praying at the hour of prayer. Now, there were three hours of prayer on the basic calendar, uh, 9 o'clock, noon, and 3 p.m. This hour of prayer comes right after the afternoon sacrifice of the Lamb. They weren't going for the sacrifice of the Lamb. Jesus Christ is the Lamb who saves the world from their sins. And so they didn't need to go for the sacrifice, but they continued steadfastly in prayer. They prayed here, they prayed there, they prayed everywhere, wherever they went, they would pray and they gathered regularly for prayer. And so that's what they're there to do, is to pray. This is how the day of Pentecost fell, if you remember. They were in a big prayer meeting. Jesus told them to tarry, and for 10 days they prayed. And when they prayed, God answered and the Holy Spirit fell on them. What are they going to do after that? Let's go pray some more. <laughs> Let's go see what else God's going to do, right? So they're in this hour of prayer. And it says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter said, Look at us. So they gave, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Okay, so this... This is the who, what, where, why, when, and how. The, the who, really, Peter, John, and this man who was lame. He, was, he didn't have the use of his feet, okay? He couldn't walk. And uh, we see Peter and John often as this dynamic duo in the Scriptures. Luke records for us back in chapter 5 of Luke how they were fishermen together on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Um, we see later through the gospel, after they're doing many things together, they're the two that uh, Jesus calls Peter and John, prepare the Passover for me. We're going to have the Passover. And he sent Peter and John to do that. They were always doing work together. If you remember, uh, a couple days later, resurrection morning, uh, John records in John chapter 20 that race that they had, that, that, that morning to get to the tomb when Mary Magdalene had reported. And uh, John ha gives a little side note, uh, I got there first. Uh, you know, in that. And they're always going about doing things together. And we're going to see coming up in the book of Acts, they're going to be doing things all the way through Acts chapter 8 in the revival that breaks out in Samaria. And you'll see Peter and John 
front and center there. Often that's the way it is as we go forward into ministry. There are, on occasion, lone rangers, okay? Missionaries that go out into a place God's called them, and that's what they do, and, and, and that's where it works. But nine times out of ten, in my life experience, God calls us out two by two, okay? That, that idea that you just have somebody that's going to be there to bolster you and, and pick you up when you fall down and, and those kinds of things. And this is Peter and John. What a dynamic duo as they go forward in all of this. So this certain man uh, was lame from his mother's womb. That means this was congenital or a birth defect or something. It was something that he's had his whole life. He's never walked, ever in his life. He's watched people walk his whole life, but he has never walked. And uh, they laid him how often at the gate? Every day. This is something that he, this is his whole life. I'm dependent on people. They pick me up. They set me at the gate. And I beg. I ask for alms. I ask for help. We were in Twin Falls yesterday at Costco. And as we parked way out in the parking lot over towards uh, McDonald's and we're walking through this, this sound of this beautiful classical music, violin music is going on. And as we got closer at the exit there going out onto pole line, there was a guy who had set up these speakers and he had his violin out and he was just playing beautiful music and he was collecting donations. I don't know how that works with the city business ordinances and licenses and all that, but I can tell you what, everybody walking into Costco was bouncing off the, the buildings all around. It was so beautiful going in there. Well, this is this man and he's laid there at the gate. You notice the gate is called the Gate Beautiful and each gate has a name based on its reputation, um, what they would go in and out of these gates for. This one was known as the Beautiful Gate. It was huge. It was uh, on the east side of the temple court. So if you're on the Mount of Olives and you're looking across the valley and you see the ridge and the temple mount and you see the temple up there, you see the, the walls that go around the huge temple precinct, about 35 acres. But then the temple itself sits there and it's kind of walled off it's got the colonnades of Solomon's portico. When you go in through those, and then there's the court of the Gentiles that surrounds all of this. But then you get to where there's actually a, a, a gate, wall, uh, walls going around, a gate, about eight steps up, and you can go into the gate beautiful. This gate beautiful uh, is about 25 cubits across, about 40 feet across, and it's made of solid brass. Josephus, the historian, records that it was actually more costly than all these other gates there in the, in the precincts that were overlaid with gold. Because while they were overlaid with gold, this was solid brass. And it was polished up. And when you would sit there on the Mount of Olives and look with the sun coming up, rising in the morning, it would bounce off of that gate and it would just glow. It was amazing. It was so beautiful. People would come ar from around the world to see the temple. It was one of the wonders of the temple. Even if they weren't there to worship as pilgrims, they'd come just to see this amazing building and to be there on the Mount of Olives when the sunrise would just be fantastic. So this is the gate beautiful, the beautiful gate, okay? It has that reputation, and something really beautiful is going to happen here at this gate this morning. He's there asking for alms. As people go by, alms for the poor, right? And he sees Peter and John about to go into the temple. Now, we already know Peter and John. You know him. And likely this beggar knew him. 
he would have sitting there at the temple every single day he knows what's going on he hears all the news as people go in and out and in and out all his life we don't know how old he is but all his life he would probably be a really good source for what happened in the temple today right because he's there every day and he could give you that report so no doubt he probably recognized here come those guys that's that's the pentecost guys that's that's the jesus freaks that's the this is this cult of the nazarene here come the leaders of that group that that those christians this is this is peter and john coming he would see them and fixing his eyes on him uh oh seeing peter and john about going to the temple asked for alms verse 4 and fixing his eyes on him with john peter said look at us okay I'm not just going to go by, and you're not just going to have your head down and put your hand up, and I'll, I'll drop something on your, your carpet or in your hat or however you're collecting your alms. But uh, no, we're going to have a moment here. Look at me. Look at me. Remember uh, when we were in chapter 2, how we saw repeated over and over, Peter said, listen to me. Men of Israel, hear me. He's purposeful. He's about to share with this man something that is going to radically change his life. Christian, and speaking to me and you, when we have opportunity, when something comes in our way that we are able to speak the name of Jesus, we need to be speaking the name of Jesus. Not just throwing it out and, oh, praise God, or this kind of thing. That I'm not saying... I do that. I, I'm guilty. I'm preaching to myself right now. So maybe all you are great at this, and this is for me only. But here's this moment. And as this moment comes, you recognize the gravity of the moment. I'm going to speak about Jesus. You know, that grips me every Sunday morning. I'm going to walk into a pulpit. This is God's pulpit. This is Jesus' house. Who am I? to get up here and talk to you about God Almighty, a sinner like me. What business do I have doing that? I really don't, except that he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my God. I know him, and I can give you my testimony that I've got. And if I speak the name of Jesus and I speak the scriptures, I know that I'm speaking truth, and you can take it to the bank, bet your life on it. And you can too. When you speak the name of Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus. So Peter says, look at me. Then he said, silver and gold I do not have. You wanted money as though that's going to fix your problem. You've been sitting here every day of your life and you need money. I understand that, but you need something even more than that. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name, in the name, in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now that's bold. That's Peter, right? God works with Peter. Peter is Peter, always was, always will be Peter. God will work with you. Maybe you're not a Peter. Maybe you're a John. Maybe you're a Mary Magdalene. Maybe you're a Mary, mother of Jesus. Maybe 
you're all different kinds of persons, personality. God fashioned you specifically to be who you are and go about sharing what God has given you to the world with the gifts and talents that he's given you. Here, Peter, and we've always known him, is not shy to speak up when something's on his heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk in the name. Name, we should understand, because a lot of times I have a name. I'm, I'm Mike, right? Michael, Mike. People call me a lot of different names. Um, pastor, I get called a lot of times. I, I recognize that. Honestly, I feel a little sheepish when people say that to me. I'm like... Okay, Lord, I just I recognize it's a, it's a responsibility. I'll do my very best to do what God's called me to do, but <laughs> I'm really no different than you. You're not any really different than me. We're just trying to do what God has called us to do, but the name holds with it reputation, character, authority. When we speak in the name of Pastor Mike, you're adding a little bit of weight to what you're saying. Well, Pastor Mike said, well, who's Pastor Mike? Well, if you're at this church, it counts. Everywhere else, it don't mean nothing. And even at this church, you want to check your sources. But, <laughs> but when you speak in the name of Jesus, that carries all of who he is, his essence, his character, his person, his divinity, his majesty, his authority, it's all wrapped up in the name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. We're going to talk about this healing in just a minute. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Wow. He's never walked his whole life. This is absolutely, completely new to him. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Woo-hoo! Ha-hoo! <laughs> Look at me! Woo-woo-woo! Right? You can be sure he wasn't Baptist, dancing like that. I'm joking. I love, I love Baptists. I am a Baptist. I'm going to go baptize some people this afternoon just to be lighthearted. But what would you do, right? Here, here you are, you've never walked your whole life, and all of a sudden, not only can you walk, you can jump, you can dance. I mean, I can't dance. I have no moves, but there, God gave him the whole package. And he's just jumping, leaping, praising God. You know, it's okay to have some emotion when you praise God. There are a variety of styles of worship music, songs, prayers, ways to praise God, ways to worship God. And there's contemplative and, and solemn, and, and, but there's a, there's a place when you are just full of joy and gratitude that you let the world know, Woo-hoo! <laughs> I am born again, look at me, I'm walking. And he was just making quite the scene, and for the first time in his life, he got to walk into the temple, the temple that he sat outside of his whole life. Never could get in, just didn't have the power, just sat there, 
and today I'm going in. And he's dancing, and everybody is watching. It says in verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. No doubt. No doubt. This is a pretty, pretty big deal. Verse 10, And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. Happened to him. Really? Wow. That's just amazing. I, this is, what, what do we call this? This is a... a, a a miracle. This is a miracle, <laughs> right? Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. That's who you are. That's the name of Jesus. And now this miracle in the name of Jesus has occurred. It actually has occurred to you and me and everyone who called on the Lord. You know, we're all born with a sin nature. Since the fall of Adam, the human race, we all have this sin nature. We need to be born again. We are essentially born lame. We're born broken. We're born with pieces that don't work, and they need to be restored. You know, there are none righteous, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need Jesus. We need healing. We need life. We need health. We need hope. And when we confess Jesus, we are made new. We're new creatures in Christ. We are born again and given a, a, a life eternal. And this is a fantastic thing. Um, you know, this, we're like this lame man, right? Um, who coming into life until we knew Jesus, you could say we were defeated. Wait for it. Defeated. Okay, that's a really lame pastor joke. <laughs> the second one was better than the first one. <laughs> but we are, and that's what we need. We need Jesus. And everybody's watching, and it's just this uh, uh, amazing thing that happens. Verse 11. Now, as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon, greatly amazed. You know, wow, this guy's healed. This is amazing. And you think, what is this? Who is this? How did this happen? How many of you have ever prayed for healing for you, for somebody else? How many of you have seen prayers for healing answered? How many of you have seen prayers for healing not answered? The only reason your hands aren't up is because you never prayed. <laughs> so, we, I mean, this is, this is a conundrum. This is a thing that I know as Christians come into the church, they look at this and it's like, I just, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And you get people that in the name of Jesus, they will make that and nothing happens. And you wonder, what's going on? What's the deal? Let me riddle a couple things out for you. How long, how often had this man been sitting there at the gate beautiful? Every day, daily, every single day. In those days, as he watched people go in and out, in and out, in and out, what's the odds that he saw Jesus go in and come out? Go in and come out. And Peter and John and the other disciples. 
in and out. And in all that time, did Jesus heal him? Did Peter and John heal him up to this day? A lot of times we have to understand that God is sovereign and he will do what he will, when he will, according to his will. This is why we pray. This is why Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's next, guys? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's will. God's will will always come about. God's will will always be accomplished. And so many times we pray prayers as if God is some Santa Claus up in heaven, some genie in a bottle. And if we say the right words, oh yeah, make sure to say in Jesus' name at the end. That's the power that makes it happen. And we tag that on. And then God's supposed to, because he's God, he has to answer our prayer. He has to do what we ask him to do. And a lot of people pray in that way. And it's not the way it works. Prayer is an opportunity for us to have an audience with the king of the universe, the creator of our soul, the, the one who holds our destiny in his hand, the one who loves us with an everlasting love. And we go into that throne room of grace and we see God. Awesome. And we have an opportunity to, to just talk with him. Abba, Father, I, I'm here to just be with you just to know you. I'm a sinner. But by your son, Jesus Christ, I'm here. Thank you so much. I just want to talk to you. I want you to, to, to know what, what's going on in this world. Um, and I want to know what's going on with my life. And I want to know what's going on with their lives. And, and Lord, you said that if I come to you, you'll hear me. And so here are my prayers, but not my will. Thy will be done. I want you to get the glory. I don't want any of it to be about me. And here, Peter and John have just been thrust into what is quite possibly the greatest faith crisis moment of their lives. They're standing right on the brink of stepping into pride. And thinking something, they did something. I spoke and look, the guy is dancing. Now, Peter, John, the apostles, they didn't have a problem with greatness. Thinking that they were all that, right? Like constantly, <laughs> right? They're always arguing who's going to be the greatest. And, and this one here, man, that's just another feather in Peter's cap. Look at me. Woo-hoo! And it would be so easy for them to take glory to themselves in this moment. And so often I think this is one of the reasons God doesn't answer our prayers because we pray amiss that we might squander them on ourselves, our passions, our lusts, our desires, rather than saying, Lord, what is it that you want to do in this case? Why did you give him cancer? It's a good question. Let him answer. There may be a really good purpose for it. We're having a fundraiser for the tea home coming up in a couple days. Do you know that the tea home was birthed out of cancer? Come to the fundraiser and find out. It's a beautiful story how God worked 
<laughs> through that to bring to life this place where so many lives have been renewed. And yet you and I would think cancer, that's, ne that's never good. How could cancer ever be good? And yet it can be. And we just don't know a lot of times what's going on. But here it's clear what's going on. It's God. It's a miracle. This guy never walked in his whole life and he is dancing. And God gets all the glory. And Peter and John are wise to step back and now we get the second sermon that Peter gets a chance to preach there in the temple precincts, in the temple grounds. Um, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Good job, Pete. Of course, he's, he's preaching in the Holy Spirit, so God's got the reins on him. And he doesn't go and get all puffed up. Oh, I'll never deny you, Lord. Even if the rest of these deny you, I'll never deny you. A couple weeks earlier. But now that he's governed by God, he's throttled. He's got the Holy Spirit empowering him to go forth in God's glory. He recognizes, I'm right on the precipice of sin. And these people here, they don't understand. Let me explain it to you. Proverbs 16 teaches us that pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall and here peter and john they pass the test god opposes the proud but he'll give grace to the humble and so he begins to speak in verse 13 the god of abraham isaac and jacob the god of our fathers glorified his servant jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of pilate when he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Isn't that a great way to open up a message? You sinners, you're the ones responsible. You killed him, you murdered him. The Holy One, the just one. Here God has glorified Jesus. And how did they, how was Jesus glorified? How was he exalted? How was he lifted up? Onto a cross. And it is in that that he wins the war and takes the glory, okay? Becoming as a servant, even to the point of death, the death of the cross, that at his name, every knee should bow above the earth, on the earth, below the earth giving praise and glory to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He was glorified, but these people, they denied him. They killed him. And Peter's just straight up. We need to understand that this is the beginning of a really great gospel message. The gospel begins with, you're a sinner. <laughs> we need to start on the first. If you don't understand that, there's no way we can move forward because the gospel is all about redeeming us, saving us regenerating us from that sin but you have to start with the sin and he he says that clearly verse 15 and killed the prince of life whom god raised from the dead of which we are witnesses that's the same message he just gave on the day of pentecost do you notice the message doesn't really change have you ever noticed the gospel really doesn't change my gospel your gospel our gospel the gospel the gospel is you were dead in your trespasses and sin. But God 
so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that he would take your sin debt, your penalty for sin, and pay for it through his blood on the cross, and then be buried to take your sin to never be remembered again and raise on the third day in the power of God. This is the good news. This is the gospel that if you will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that he is your Christ, you can be saved. That's great news, but it always starts right here. And so this is a great gospel message. Um, he uh, And killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. There's a wonderful song that's out that's very popular today by Charity Gale. It's I Speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope, there is freedom. I speak Jesus because your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Breaking every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression. I speak Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Now, I know some people, maybe they're new to Christianity or maybe they're outside of Christianity and they look at me like some kind of nut, like this is just my magic word. I say the magic word and everything gets better. No, but there is power in the name of Jesus especially when you understand who he is, what he has done, what he has promised, and you come to him and recognize him for who he is, there is mighty power in the name of Jesus. And this is what he tells them. In his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. This is Jesus that has done this. It's not Peter. It's not John. It's not you. It's not I. I have prayed for healing, and I've seen healings from four-stage cancer. Doctors, multiple doctors and diagnosis is no hope. Write your will. Get your family together. Next week, bam, it's gone. And their body was riddled with it. How do you explain that? I don't know. Dr. Luke is trying to explain it. Dr. Luke tells you what it is. It's a miracle. Verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Speaking of prophecy, all that Christ has promised, he has fulfilled. Um, verse 19, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out 
so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who is preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. And this is where the gospel message begins. It always begins, repent. When John the Baptist came, he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' first recorded words in, the, in his ministry were, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter, in the day of Pentecost, says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here we see, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Cute story about Joe. Joe, by trade, was a painter. But Joe was also a bit crooked. And he would often thin his paint so that it could go farther. So when the church decided to do some deferred maintenance, Joe was able to put in the lowest bid and he got the job. As always, he thinned his paint way down. One day, while he was up on the ladder, the job almost finished, he heard a horrendous clap of thunder and the sky opened up. The downpour washed the thin paint off the church and knocked Joe off his ladder and onto the lawn in the church cemetery. As Joe looked up from among the gravestones and puddles of thinned and worthless paint, Joe knew this was a warning for trying to cheat the Almighty. So he cried out, Oh God! Forgive me, what should I do? And from the thunder, a mighty voice spoke. Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. <laughs> you know, it's funny, it makes us chuckle, right? Repaint and thin no more. Repent and sin no more. But it helps it stick, right? repentance it's not regret Re regret is that you're sorry you got caught repentance is not remorse remorse is feeling bad for what happened you feel guilty repenting is turning away from your sin and turning to god sin no more and so this is what he says repent repent um and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration, all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. And here, Peter gets into theology, eschatology, last days, what's going on in the world. And he jumps way to the time when Jesus will come back for his church. It's interesting, as he's here opening up the scriptures and preaching to people, he talks about the word of God. He quotes the word of God. And we should understand, you should understand, the Bible that's sitting on your lap um, is a major portion of the Bible, a major portion of the Bible is prophetic. By one count, about 27% of the Bible is predictive prophecy. This means that when written, over one-fourth of the Bible, or more than one in four verses, is prophetic. It speaks of what's going to come in the future. Uh, some people have listed as many as 1,817 prophecies. It's staggering 
how much God tells us what's going to happen. Now, at least half of all the biblical predictions have already been fulfilled as God had declared they would, okay? Um, and we can be assured with the accuracy by which he filled the ones that have come to pass, he will fulfill the rest of the prophecies remaining in the scriptures. You can divide prophecy basically into two broad groups, the fulfilled ones and the not yet fulfilled. In the fulfilled category are prophecies of the first coming of Christ, his birth in Bethlehem and so forth. His prophecies of Jesus as savior of mankind beginning back in the Garden of Eden. Prophecies regarding individual people uh, and also prophecies regarding Israel, such as they were going to go into exile in Babylon. Prophecies of the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. But there are prophecies yet to be fulfilled. And Peter is talking about one of these, that Jesus is coming back. The, the prophecies yet to be fulfilled, the second coming of Christ. And there are more prophecies about the second coming than there were about his first coming. God is serious about this. Prophecies about the rapture of the church, prophecies about resurrections of the saved and the unsaved, prophecies of the millennial reign of Christ and the restoration of Israel and a new heaven and new earth. The Bible is full of prophecy. And this is what Peter jumps straight into. It says, And he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, and now he's quoting here out of Deuteronomy 18, then he'll jump into a quote out of Deuteronomy 15 and 1 Samuel 4, and finally he'll quote Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 4. But these are all kind of put together, just as you got your scriptures, you read your Bible, you've got bits and pieces of them, and then when you need them, the Holy Spirit brings them forward. And this is what hap is what's happening with Peter. He says in verse 22, this is the scripture explaining the healing of this man. For Moses truly said the, to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things and whatever he says to you. That was in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus fulfills it. Verse 23, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. That was in Deuteronomy 15. In some cases, it's already come to pass. They await their judgment. Others will reject Christ and there will be judgment coming. Verse 24, yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. These last days between Pentecost and the birth of the church and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit through the church age till the rapture of the church, the tribulation that follows for seven years where God shakes the world and gets the attention of the Jews and brings those who would come back to him before he returns to earth physically and sets up a kingdom for a thousand years after which the heavens and earth will be destroyed and made new, a new heavens, a new earth, where we'll live forever in glory with God. This is fundamentally the, the layout of what's going on. And all the prophets from Samuel forward, they've talked about these. Verse 25, 
you are sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's in the temple courtyards. They're seeing this amazing blessing, this amazing miracle, this man who's never walked his whole life, leaping and dancing and praising the Lord. And he goes back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God called Abraham. Actually, his name was Abram, which simply means father. Later, he would change it to father of many nations because he called Abram and he says, I'm going to create a new thing with you. And from your descendants, there will come a seed. That seed is Jesus Christ. And he will bless the whole world. And this is what's happening, everybody. That man who you see dancing in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Messiah, in the name of the blessing that God promised to Abraham and to all the world, all who will call upon the name of the Lord, this man stands before you healed. Hallelujah. To the glory of God. Not to Paul, not to the church, not to that man for his great faith. In the name of Jesus. All the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. And this is Peter. This is where he ends. Where did he start? Look at me. God wants to bless you. God wants to heal you. God wants to make you whole. Now, the ultimate healing comes when we're translated from this earth into heaven. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. You'll be perfect. It's what we call glorified. The sin is gone. Okay? In this life, we're born into sin. But as God comes and, or as people come and, and preach God to us, as we recognize God, we are born again. And then we go through this process called sanctification, where God works out all those problems that we have until the day that we go to be with Him in heaven, in which everything is healed. But in the meantime, he may have given you some kind of a challenge, a physical disability or infirmity, or maybe a mental thing. Or maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe you deal with rage. Or maybe you deal with inadequacy. Maybe you deal with all different kinds of impediments to let you just go forward and live life the way he's decided you to do. And you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, this is the deal. I would love to be healed, but not my will. Your will be done. And it could be. And we've seen it so many times happen where God does touch you and heal you. In other cases, as it Paul, the great apostle, prayed that this thorn in the flesh would be taken from me. And he prayed earnestly. It says he prayed three times. And God would not take it away. God told Paul, you know what, Paul? <laughs> My grace is sufficient with you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You know, a lot of times, this is the answer to prayer, just like Jacob, the heel catcher, the, the conniver, who was always chasing after everything. Finally, he wrestled one night with God, and God had to touch him in his hip socket and cripple him for life. So he couldn't run after or away from anything for the rest of his life. So the rest of his life, he would limp on his staff and depend on God 
and God had to break him. God had to bring a thorn into his flesh. God had to bring something into his life that would humble him so that he wouldn't take the glory. He wouldn't get all prideful. And that's the point in which his strength can be seen. Because now we see it's not Mike. It's not you. It's Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. Always has been. Always will be. Amen? Amen. We'll go ahead and pray. And then uh, remember, we're going to wrap up and skedaddle over to the Hayburn Riverside Park for some baptism. So if you'll bow your heart with me, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come to deliver us from sin and death. And you've given us, Lord, a new heart. And you've filled us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And you've called us, God, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you will empower us to do that by your Holy Spirit, teaching us to obey all of your commandments, to repent, turn to you, and walk new into glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you all, and uh, have a wonderful week. See you over at the river. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hayburn, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.